This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. shaved my beard. I was not keeping kosher laws. They would prefer if I was miserable, because at least that would make sense to them. To walk into the Hasidic world, putting on a skirt is my outstretched hand. Now I, I can't go to a shul that's not egalitarian. I break down the myth. That's some of the audio from a new show debuting Monday, November 21st, about ultra-Orthodox Jews who've left their life behind and gone OTD, or off the derech, as they call it. This is not another Netflix series like Shtisel or Unorthodox. You might have seen those shows with Israeli actor Shira Haas playing a Haredi bride struggling with her community's way of life. And it's totally nothing like that reality TV series My Unorthodox Life with Julia Hart. Instead, this new show was created and recorded by a professor at the University of Toronto. It's called Heretic in the House. It's a podcast series. The host is Naomi Seidman. She grew up in a highly respected ultra-Orthodox family in Borough Park, New York. Then she quit that life when she was 18. She says OTD people can lose family and friends and spouses and children and even a way to earn a living, which can send them into deep depression or even lead to suicide. It's about a certain kind of way in which that story has been packaged. That just feels like a lie. That feels untrue. And that feels like... Um, it lets the people who, who want to hear that story off the hook. It's exoticizing. It's, you know, all the things I say in my review of Unorthodox. And I just wanted to, to do it differently. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, November the 21st, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Naomi Seidman's late father Hillel was a descendant of a Hasidic dynasty and a Holocaust survivor who had served on the Judenrat in the Warsaw Ghetto. He'd actually helped prepare the uprising, but was arrested by the Nazis. He later made it to France, where he was liberated. After the war, his ghetto diary and his newspaper articles and books were widely published. His daughter is the youngest of four kids. She dutifully went to Beis Yaakov, an all-girls religious school, And after she left her home and her Hasidic community, she forged a new relationship with Judaism, and she's had a successful career in academia. She says most people don't know this, but there is a sizable community of OTD Jews in Canada, too, and she wants to hear from them. Coming up, she'll be here to preview her new podcast series right after this message. Did you know April 2023 is Israel's 75th anniversary? In honor of this huge milestone, UJA Federation of Greater Toronto is planning an epic trip to Israel, and all of Canada is invited. Israel's anniversary, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, is a -a one-of-a-kind experience. Streets are filled with parties, fireworks, music, and dancing. On UJA's Israel 75, you'll get to join the celebration. 75 is not a regular anniversary, and Israel 75 is not your typical trip. You'll get a truly unique experience of the country, no matter how many times you've been before. With 10 specialized tracks, you can create an itinerary that is totally personalized, whether you're a foodie, an adrenaline seeker, a TV buff, or politically minded. 
The best part? You can mix and match tracks on different days. Embark on a thrilling adventure one day and a culinary experience the next. Let your own interests be your guide and experience everything Israel has to offer. To learn more about the trip, visit UJAIsrael75.com. That's UJAIsrael75.com. And joining me now from Toronto is Professor Naomi Seidman. Welcome to the CJN Daily. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So we're talking about the podcast. How was it decided that you would have a podcast about people who left the Hasidic or Haredi community? I'm a senior scholar at the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America. And uh, um, these are people who talk a lot about, you know, issues of, of worry in the Jewish community. And um, Unorthodox had come out pretty recently. And even though I basically almost never talk about my own OTD story, my own off the derech story, I had written a review about the Netflix series. I don't know if you saw that. And I suddenly sort of realized that, um, I mean, like other OTD people, I thought, well, maybe I should write a memoir, you know, maybe I should try to sell my story. And I never did for reasons that I imagine will come up in this podcast. And, you know, I could never really stomach it. But this review of Unorthodox got a lot of attention. And I realized I had more to say, not just about Unorthodox, but about the whole craze for whatever you want to call it, this whole curiosity about our stories. So that's what I pitched to them. And they said, let's do it. Why do people leave, you say, on the derech? Why do they go off the derech in Canada? compared to what you know from your experiences in the States. Is it any different? So why do people leave is, let's call it a contested narrative. It's like an Israel-Palestine kind of situation. And what's interesting, and I don't, I don't actually know enough to say that it's different in Toronto than it is elsewhere. But what I looked at in the podcast is, what do OTD people say about why they left? And what do Orthodox Jews say about why people leave? Um, and that these two stories about why people left are dramatically different. What is it? Is it uh, like what we saw with Shira Haas and some of the other <laughs> actors and Stissel and Stissel actually isn't really well. I guess it's there's what's his name who leaves. So I think one of the things that people are really surprised to hear is that the story about why people leave in the Orthodox world is not what you would think. It's not sin or heresy. Um, in the OTD community, we call ourselves heretics. Um, I have a friend who actually um, tattooed the word apicorus on her arm. This is a kind of punk OTD style that I enjoy tremendously. In the Orthodox world, increasingly over the last few decades, um, the story of why people leave is, just to give you an example, there's a woman who's kind of made a name for herself as some kind of self-styled expert on this issue. Her name is Allison Josephs. I don't know if you've heard of her. Anyway, she wrote an essay called, which got, you know, tons of attention in the Orthodox world. It's called something like why Jews leave observance and how to heal the hurt that causes it. So it's basically, these are um, broken people. They leave because of sexual abuse or psychological issues or because they're gay or because their parents are divorced or they come from a broken home or their parents are poor or they're marginalized or they're bullied. In other words, 
psychological explanations. This is quite hilarious to OTD people. The fact that Orthodox Jews who claim to be in the realm of religion and theology have a really hard time wrapping their brains around the possibility that we just don't believe what we're supposed to be believing and that there's nothing crazy or disturbed about or broken about our desire to leave. That's probably the most healthy aspect of, a, of the whole story. And our question is, what is it about them and their Alice and Joseph? We had insecure emotional attachments. I think that's her phrase. And that's why we left. But it shows the othering of you. So they don't have to examine what happened, right? It's it's like, okay, they're not hereming, you're not getting, or maybe you are getting haremed. How does that actually work? Do you get haremed? So that's another misconception that people have. So first of all, on the question of why the Orthodox world is doing it, they say it in some sense to forgive us and to not have to shun us. There's such an epidemic of people leaving that it's painful for parents to shun their children. And if some rabbi tells them, I Nebuch, well, Nebuch is the title of one of my episodes. Nebuch, something must have gone wrong there. Nebuch, she couldn't find the good boy. So if they can say Nebuch, then they don't have to shun us. Then they don't have to excommunicate us. And then they don't have to question their own beliefs. It works in a lot of different ways. It's just ridiculous. Which isn't to say that there aren't people who are abused and there aren't emotional reasons to leave the Orthodox world. There's no doubt plenty of reasons of all kinds, right? And all reasons are good reasons as far as I'm concerned. But the, um, you know, it's very, it's disrespectful at the very least, even though what it does is it does the work of, of, of getting beyond some of that old discourse of sitting Shiva for your kid or excommunicating them or putting them in cherem. That is not done anymore. Um, it's not that it's not done at all. It's just done, that's episode two, which is called shunning. And what is done is, I mean, there are people who are hard cut off from their families, but most people are in this kind of in-between situation where, you know, every once in a while, a little phone call. And then the basic way in which I describe this is what I say is that the Orthodox world, world as everyone knows, has rules. What people might not know is that the OTD from inter interchange also has rules. They're unwritten and they can be summarized by the old don't ask, don't tell. You can come to the wedding, but don't bring your non-Jewish girlfriend. You can come to the Seder, but just keep your mouth shut. This is the way the Orthodox world, quote unquote, bends towards us. And this is the way we bend toward them. And it sucks. It's a drag. It's empty. It's dead. So let's talk about grandchildren. How does that work when a person who chooses to leave then has a family of their own? Well, I think it probably depends. So a lot has to. So if, first of all, if you try to leave with your children and you leave behind a husband, then it's a really ugly mess. Then forget the soft son, forget you're invited for Pesach. Then you know, your own parents will testify against you in a, in a court of law to try to get your the kids back into to save their souls, to save their Jewish souls. And that's, you know, there's a high suicide rate in the OTD community. And the people who have been subjected to that treatment, 
that's the worst thing that the Orthodox community does. You know, and then they talk about people who are broken. Well, they're to blame for a lot of those people who are broken. They've broken them. So I know quite a few people like that who are constantly in legal struggles in which it's them against the entire, you know, Skvera community, the entire Hasidic community that they left is up against them. Um, and who do you have? You have a little organization called Footsteps, which the firm community pretends is such a huge threat to them. So that's one kind of situation. Another kind of situation is you, um, you know, the grandchildren come back. I mean, it depends. I mean, every, obviously every situation is different, but I'm lucky, you know, I'm, I'm, whoever I marry, my children are Jewish and um, not according to how I think about it, but according to how my family does. And at least in principle, they care about all Jews. So yes, I'm sure my child is welcome, but you know, it's not a comfortable situation for me and it's not a comfortable situation for him situation, but sometimes the Orthodox world's interest in you, the children you consider your own is an awful thing. You don't have relationships with your family? Um, I do have a relationship with my some people in my family. I'm in that in-between situation that I just described. Some people don't talk to me, even if I'm in the same room as them. It's understood that when I am, even if I'm invited, I basically have been told I have to speak appropriately, which means I can't say anything about my life exactly um, because it's all inappropriate. My mother, on the other hand, who's a Yiddish-speaking Holocaust survivor and a Hasidic woman, has been firmly persuaded that she will never let go of me. And even if I wanted to let go of her, she's not letting that happen. And she's told people, so one time I was in her living room and her sister walked in and says in Yiddish, I didn't know Nomi would be here. I wouldn't have come. And my mother says in English, as if I don't understand the Yiddish, she says, it's not too late to leave. Oh, mom. She's 100 years old. I talked to her before every Shabbos, actually. She has so many, so many, Kanai Nahara, so many grandchildren, great-grandchildren that I have to like squeeze in my Shabbos phone call on Thursday because Friday's too busy. What do you hope the podcast will do? You know, people have this huge curiosity about the Orthodox world and the people who leave it. And what they don't have a curiosity about is why they're curious. Um, they don't look at themselves in the mirror and they don't understand what it is that they do to Orthodox people when they ask them for their story. They don't understand what the role this curiosity plays in our lives um, and, the, and, and, and how hard it is, it is for us to negotiate that curiosity once we leave the Orthodox world. Um, and I want people to know that. And that's why I have a podcast in which I just told you more than I say about anything in my podcast, because you're you're interviewing me. I'm not interviewing you. Um, and I wouldn't say it. So it's I tell people in the first episode, if you want to hear my story, sorry, not going to happen. Why do you want to hear my story? Figure that out and then come back and I'll help you figure it out. So it's a very... You know, this is not Netflix. I mean, maybe I'd be willing to sell every little tidbit of my story if I was going to make a million dollars, but I'm not making any money from being interviewed by you or from my own interview. So why exactly would I sell my story? Mm -hmm. Not only that, but I watch all the Amish things and all the people who left this cult and that cult. I'm totally addicted to the whole genre. 
Do you call the Hasidic world a cult? It's interesting. I'm just having a, a, a debate with people online about that. I personally don't. So I've in the podcast, uh, Elad Nahorai, who was a Baal someone who joined the Hasidic world and then left, which is a whole other complicated story. He talks about reading all these cult books and, and the light bulb going off and him going, aha, that's what happened to me. I was love bombed. They were really nice to me for the first two years. And then when I didn't, you know, keep in line, they weren't so nice to me. And how did you find the people? I should say I left Orthodox Judaism a very long time ago when I was 18 years old. And I've been living in California for many, many years. And I never had a connection to the world of people who left. And about four or five years ago, I discovered you know, what's called OTD Facebook groups. Wasn't in footsteps. I, you know, lived in Berkeley, California. I literally knew one other person who had left the Sotner community. And uh, so I just dived into this world and I started meeting people. I went to an OTD meetup. I realized it's a whole, the whole world. Um, and it really changed my life very dramatically in all kinds of ways, aside from this. And that's how I started meeting people. I went and I met, who did I meet? So I didn't meet them all that way. I met Frida Weisel because I went on her Williamsburg tour. And then I read a book by Zalman Newfield. It basically taught me all kinds of things about my own experience that I hadn't totally understood. And those were the first two people that I interviewed. I'm really sorry I haven't had the opportunity to interview anybody in Toronto yet, though I do know a couple, at least a few people here in Toronto who are also OTD, some of them closeted. Let's talk yeah, about there is an active OTD community here in Toronto. Uh, there's a recent uh, PhD at, in my department, the Department for the Study of Religion at U of T, who just finished a dissertation. His name is David Belfont. He grew up in the Orthodox community. And um, what he has described is that the peculiar geography of the way in which the Toronto community flowed upward along Bathurst, you know, from all the old neighborhoods to increasingly northern suburbs, but not that there's a ultra-Orthodox or Orthodox scene in every block of Bathurst. So you're basically, your geography is the kind of, what's it called, the Lawrence area, and then a little further up, um, and then a little further up. So there's basically three enclaves. And these these enclaves have a certain character, a certain kind of yeshivish character. And the fact that there are these gaps between them, he argues, gives you a little space to escape. What would you describe your level of Jewishness now? <laughs> Orthodox. It's, funny. it's actually funny because um, somebody asked me that, uh, do you have some kind of like religious practice? And I was trying to think about, this is a, a, a fellow Jewish studies professor. I said, I think my denomination is paid. Um, I prefer to be paid to be Jewish. So I think that might be a little bit harsh. But what I mean is, and sometimes I joke that I've monetized my unhappy childhood. So my, my, what I consider, I mean, I'm joking a little bit, but not entirely. My favorite place to do Jewish things is around a seminar table. Um, the things that happen at a seminar table to me are sacred. 
the ability to look at a text, to ask real questions about it, to, um, to, to speak to groups, not just Jews of a certain type, that particular thing that the academic world has given me, that's how I do Jewish most comfortably. Um, I, yeah, I end up in a synagogue now and then. It's hard to avoid, let's just say. I do this, I do that. Sometimes I think it would be more relaxing to just figure out where I am instead of making it up every time anew. I, you know, some things I'm more attached to than others. I was really into, like I had a sukkah on my back porch, not here in Toronto, like every year for many years. Can I ask you how old you are? I'm 62 years old. Still figuring it out. Yep, still figuring it out. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. If you want the links to these podcasts, we've put it in the show notes, and you can follow it on Spotify. Today's listener shout-out goes to Dr. Jeff Weisbrot of Toronto. And we'll end the show with a little bit of the feedback that you sent me about my interview last week with author Dara Horn, who called for a new approach to thinking about fighting anti-Semitism. This is from Judith Ross. She wrote in to share how she personally took it upon herself to deal with anti-Semitism in her classroom in Scarborough, Ontario, in the 1980s. She was teaching grade two, and she was going to be off for Rosh Hashanah, so she told her class about the high holidays. When she got back a few days later, one of the girls came up and said, You can't be Jewish. My daddy says so. He said that when Jewish women get married, they sit at home doing nothing while their maids do the housework and their husbands go to work. Judith invited the girl's father to come to school the next day. The man came. She served him tea and chocolate chip cookies. Turns out he was a single father, an insurance adjuster, and she remarked that his name was David. And so she started to tell him about David and Goliath. Judith says the man had never heard of the story. Judith thinks... She was the first Jewish person this man had ever met. Anyway, they had a lovely chat. He was fascinated. He wanted to learn more, so she lent him a book called Judaism for Dummies. He read it. He wanted more books. She lent him the diary of Anne Frank, and he kept coming back a few times. Over the next few months, he started volunteering in the class and teaching his daughter about the Bible. Eventually, the family moved out west. He got remarried, but they kept in touch over the years. And Judah thinks David was just a product of ignorance because his own family was poor and grew up without any information about his faith or faith of other people. She says she thinks she handled it pretty well by educating her students about all religious holidays, including Jewish ones, and the Chinese New Year, too, for example. And she says, I do believe education, slow and steady, is the route to wipe out hate and racism and anti-Semitism. Thanks, Judith, for writing in, and thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.